0: but we are in a world where we are surrounded by false teachers, and it's something that we need to be careful about. And when you think about these false teachers, a lot of the problems is is not only will they misrepresent Scripture, but they will also misapply Scripture. And so you have individuals out there today that will have this idea that if you just have enough faith, that you can then steer your future. So it's this name-it-and-claim-it type mentality. So if you just trust in God enough... And God will give you what you want. Or if another person may say it like this way, if you just believe with enough faith, then God will comply to what you want. We saw this happening during the election, and there were a number of religious teachers. I don't want to call them preachers. I feel like that's a. I feel like that's a detriment or an insult to preachers. But there were other religious teachers out there that said, "We know that Donald Trump will be the next president." Now, legally, Rightfully, we can have a difference of opinion. You can have your own ideas. But reality, the person that sits in that office right now, and so what it was is their prophecy did not come true. Uh, I think it was Kenneth Copeland um, on his TV program. He decided that he was going to cast out COVID. And so he got up there and he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I banish COVID from our country and from our people. And he did this whole this little action on television and he's flanked by all these people in the stage like oh yeah yeah COVID is no more and that was um, six months ago um, and, and so these things take place I was watching a show with uh, Jesse Duplantis Kenneth Copeland and there was another there was another religious false teacher on the show um, and that they were talking about traveling and the conversation came up about their personal jets and why, why their personal jets are necessary. And I remember listening to Kenneth Copeland explain that when he flies commercially, he can't have any rest, he can't have any quiet time, because there's so many people on the plane that keep interrupting him and keep bothering him, and he doesn't have any time to rest. And then he went on to say that you have all these lost people on this airplane, so you have all these demons in this tube, and I've got so much spiritual warfare that I need to have a a private jet for my peace for my solitude and for my protection against the evil forces that are around me so therefore I'm justified in having a 10 million dollar jet to fly from speaking engagement to speaking engagement on and so this whole crowd of people were sitting there going yeah 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 that makes all kinds of sense the problem is is that they're charlatans and they and they're doing it for their own sake. Um, some names that I can think of would be Creflo Dollar. Um, I, Creflo Dollar is a name it and claim it guy. You have Bishop T D Jakes. Um, I have listened to these people, um, so it's not one of those things that I'm just going off what someone else says. Of course, you got Kenneth, Kenneth Copeland. You got Jesse Duplantis, which is another one. Um, you have the other one. Uh, John Hagee, I would consider to be a false teacher, and some of the things that he's done with the Blood Moon. You have John Hagee Jr. Um, people that are very dynamic speakers. I watched John Hagee Jr. did a message over the vine and the branches, and he had a whole trellis of a grapevine up on the stage, and he went through the act of pruning. I mean, very powerful, very dynamic. What I heard um, when John Hagee Jr. was doing that is not something unbiblical, but at the same time, when you take the entire corpus of what they're saying, um, that are leading people down a path that is not solely given over to God. Um, and so there's some of those. Um, you think about a, a Joel Osteen. I've never listened to Joel Osteen. This is a prophesy and say this is what's going to happen. I just, I just warn against Joel Osteen because you get one message. And it's always the good. He never tells you about the judgment of God, at least the parts that I've listened to. And, and there went through a spurt there for about six months that I listened to all of his Sunday messages because I wanted to be informed. I wanted to know. Um, and so he's always, he, he's a great encourager. He's a great public speaker. He wants to make you feel good. But there's sometimes that you just need to be told, based upon the word of God, this is wrong. <laughs> and this is sin. And God judges sin. And If we don't have a fear of God, if we don't have a conviction of our sin, then how do we ever fall through in repentance and getting right with God? There's some other things when it comes to um, Joel and his wife, Victoria. Victoria. Um, just in some of their choices as far as personal wise and I've listened to him on Fox News, I've listened to him on CNN, you know and he just takes the wishy-washy road. Uh, you have Hillsong which is the church that is down there in Australia they've then opened up some Hillsong churches in the United States. They consider themselves from what I've listened to Brian Houston which him and his wife were the founders of the Hillsong Church. I've listened to them say that they what they are doing is they're starting a denomination. They're starting their own religion, if you will. And so they had a pastor um, that was there in New York City. He went on to the TV show The View, which I'm not a big watcher of that. I'm aware of it. But he went on The View. He got on The View, and Whoopi Goldberg looked directly at him and asked him about abortion. I mean, just... A softball pitch (laughs) as easy as you come and he said well i really don't think we're not going to take that up as an issue and i really don't think that's something i really want to be concerned about at this point and completely waffled on the issue because he's no he's sitting here on a view and he's flanked by women that are outspoken (laughs) and women that would just crucify him if he said something else and so i would i would uh i would caution against, like a Brian Houston, the Hillsong preaching. Um, I've gone back and forth through seasons with their music. Well, if the preaching is um, not biblical, then what do you do with the music? And a lot of their music is very powerful. A lot of their music has been very impactful. And you go to Falls Creek and the majority of the songs you're going to sing at Falls Creek is either Bethel music or Hillsong music. I mean, that's the majority of it, which um, we can have a different discussion about that. Um, But those would be some people that I would guard against. But then the same at uh, the same note, there are some wonderful. I consider respected biblical teachers. Um, I've been greatly blessed by John MacArthur and Alistair Begg, um, even Paul Blair down there in Edmund. I mean, I don't agree with everything that he says, but with the things he do, say, the, the things that I have heard him say, biblically, scripturally, of course, are um, I, I applaud. Um, you have Adrian Rogers and you have other voices, as Stephen Rummage down at Quell Springs. Um, these are some names that come on bot radio. Of course, you have Charles Stanley. Um, Andy Stanley, I wouldn't listen to um, because Andy Stanley, had kind of, he's went through a phase where he says that hey I'm not sure if we need both Old Testament and New Testament. And he's questioned the authority of the Bible on some issues and I would be cautious about him. Um, Louis Giglio, I have loved listening to Louis Giglio. My reservations are Louis Giglio never says that he's going to bring a sermon. He's bringing a talk. Now he's talking to a demographic, an age group that he is trying to relate to, but at the same time when he was invited to pray at, I think it was President Obama's inauguration, They came out, found a sermon from 10 years ago where he preached against same sex marriage. And instead of Louis Giglio saying, yes, because that's biblical, you know, he waffled and said, well, you know, I I, I think people should be allowed to, you know, live the life that God has called them to live. And he didn't say he denied that it was wrong. He just wasn't going to take a position one way or the other. Lee Strobel, I've been blessed by Lee Strobel's writings, especially. And just here recently, he came out and uh, they found a message from 10 years ago. And he waffled on that. And I'm listening, thinking, man, Lee, I mean, you are one of the chief apologetics in Christianity for the last several decades. And instead of just saying it's wrong, you waffle. And I don't know. I mean, I'm not... I'm not Lee Strobel, and he hasn't talked to me about it personally, so I don't know where he's at. But I wouldn't actually consider him, I mean, I wouldn't consider people like that. Louis Gigolo, what I've listened to him has been solid. It's been more of a motivational type speech instead of a biblical type sermon. But there's still some wonderful content there. But the guy that's up in Tulsa, not Hagee, is it Hagee? No. He's in Texas. Who's Rima? Who's at Rima? Ah, I can see his name. I can hear his voice. Anyways, there's a guy at Rima Bible Institute, I think, up there in Tulsa. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't walk across the street to listen to what he has to say, because um, he lot, lot with John Hagee and them, just name it and claim it um, type stuff. So that's just some, I, that's just some uh, suggestions that I have about some people to be careful of. Um, but a lot of times, if you will read your Bible and then you will listen to what that person says, you will see the differences that are there and you know we need to be i, I want to listen to people that step on my toes that bring conviction and that tell me what is right and what the bible says is true uh, apart from just uh trying to encourage me and give me some self-help tips but the, the problem is that we're in a day and age when these false teachers are out there there's a lot of people that don't know False teachers from the true teachers, and these false teachers, something that is very common about them is they will have this idea that if you have enough faith plus a sizable donation, then you get what you want, and they will use that to justify their expenditures or lifestyles. I remember watching Jesse DuPlantis on one special show, and he comes driving up on his trike at his house, which that's not really a house, I mean it's more like a biblical mansion kind of picture, you know. But he comes pulling up and he's just saying, Hey, you know what? If you do what God wants you to do then? This is how God treats you, which was a which which was a principle that we saw back in the Old Testament. How God blessed uh, Noah and God blessed Abraham, but at the same time, in the New Testament, we are promised for God to provide for our needs, not to give us opulent lifestyles. And, and there's a difference that is there. And so we we have those those pictures of the false teachers, but then we also have a, an opposite picture that we have today, where we have people that say, "Well, that is the false teachers," but here today we got to be careful that we don't err on that side, so it's like a knee-jerk reaction. And so we don't emphasize the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't attribute the things, the supernatural things of God to God. We will say, well, it was coincidence, or it was fate, or it was just meant to be. Or we even can come into this idea that we don't believe that God really desires our joy. John Piper, one of his famous uh, quotes was, or is that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And he's taking a lot of fire over that because people have this question about will you think that you bring God glory by your actions? And he says, absolutely, I bring God glory in my actions. And God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And so there's a statement that I have stated for quite a while and sometimes it airs, some people think about it being more of a name and claimant phrase, but it's not. And this is the phrase, God blesses obedience. People come will ask me questions about what should I do in this situation. Should I do this or that? I have this decision to make. What do you think I should do? And I will repeatedly tell individuals, God blesses obedience. Not that you get what you want, but that God provides what you need. And it's not about happiness, because happiness is temporal. Happiness is uh, just in this world. What we're looking for is joy. And true joy is found in right relationship and fellowship with God. And you cannot buy joy. God blesses, well you may in an essential oil, but God blesses, <laughs> so God blesses obedience and what obedience is, it's faithfulness. So what I want to do tonight, we've been walking through these foundational truths, so we're going to be, we're going to be in Genesis 6 through 9 tonight. We're going to cover uh, most of these chapters because I want you to see with me a, another foundational truth. We talked about the judgment of God last uh, Sunday night and uh, talking about how um, when God is looking down upon the times of Noah and the judgment to come for the sin of the people, but then I also think in this narrative of the flood not only do we see what God does as a judgment to the people but we also see the faithfulness of God and we need to be reminded that God blesses obedience. God is faithful to us and we most often see God's faithfulness to us when we are being faithful to Him. We don't equate it with health. We don't equate it with ease or comfort in life. We realize that when we are faithful to God we will will most see God's faithfulness to us. So you start there in Genesis 6 and we looked at verses 5 down through 8 last uh, Sunday night talking about the wickedness of the people. But we're just going to it just kind of recaps here in verse 9. If you remember when uh, we were talking about the way that the Hebrew writes normally it's not necessarily a moment by moment a chronological order. A lot of times when the Hebrews would write they would write by thought by thought by thought. So as a person is writing it's not necessarily meant in a uh, time frame if you will check 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 it's more of thought for thought. So Evan was asking about the creation order in Genesis 1 and 2 and how uh, it, it seems like it repeats itself. Well, the writer of Hebrews is just saying, here's kind of the thought that goes along with this subject. And as I start a new subject, uh, that there's going to be more thought that is involved there. So there in verse 9, it says... Uh, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was righteous; was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. And then in verse 11, some people would say, well, it just repeats itself. Well, he's he, he's setting up the scene there in Genesis to say, this was the condition of the culture around Noah. Verse 11, he goes on, and he says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make Make an end to all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. behold I will destroy them with the earth. Back up there in verse 9 and 10 you see the statement that is made that God walked with Noah And then he goes on to explain that walking with God is always something to be desired. it's always something to be pursued. but a lot of times we think about this idea that we're going to walk with God as long as God is making it easy for us to walk with him. And we start looking around the world today and we start to say, well, you know what? It's not as easy to walk with God as it used to be. What's changed? God hasn't changed. <laughs> God's Word hasn't changed. So when you or I have this tendency to think, well, you know what? It's not as easy to be a Christian now as it was 20 years ago, 50 years ago. What's changed? I can tell you for me personally, what's changed is distractions, behaviors, habits, compromises, things that I've let slide things that I have entered into that to go back would either be uncomfortable or it would bring the ire of those around me. It says right there in verse 9 and 10, or it says right there in verse 9, he was righteous, blameless, man and Noah walked with God. It's the idea that it didn't matter about the corruption that was going on around him. Noah was still faithful to God. But then in verse 11, now through verse 13, it reminds us, the writer here in Genesis, which most people think is Moses, he reminds us of the corruption of the earth. But then you get down to verse 14. So despite all of this, look at what God does. God says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. So you have the scene that is setting up that we know as the flood narrative or the flood account. And even though Noah walked with God, and even though God could have spoken and created the ark... God looks down upon Noah, and through Noah and to his family, by extension, God gives them direction. I think this is very important for us today, because God has not stopped giving us direction. We are not ever without something to do. I remember those days on the drilling rig and you would be um, just drilling um, during the day and you would come to a spot and you would do that job and you would think well now I get to do whatever I want to and that boss would be there and go no <laughs> there is always something that you can be doing and the same way when it comes to our service to the kingdom of God there is always something that we can be doing what well, God comes in here in this narrative and he gives direction he comes and he, he has this relationship with Noah he has this uh, reputation to give about Noah, what he said about Noah. Then he reminds the reader that this is what Noah was doing and this is the days in which Noah was living in. And then God gave the direction, I want you to build the ark. And then through verse 15 all the way down through verse 21 explains about how he's going to build the ark. But then you get down in verse 22 and you see the response of Noah. And I find this to be very convicting in my personal life because can you just imagine being in Noah's position? You're sitting there and you're walking with God. You're doing what God wants you to do you're blameless upright the blameless there in the Hebrew is not meant to be sinless but not to have but in other words it's not to have any evidence of wrongdoing in your life so he was a righteous man he was a pious man he was doing all these things can you imagine in this world where he is being faithful when everybody else is not and then God coming in and saying yeah and in addition to now I want you to build an ark can you just imagine Noah looking to God and saying God why me what did I do And sometimes we can look at it as being a punishment. And sometimes we can say, well, you know what, I already have enough to do. I don't need more to do. And sometimes we can start to get an attitude with God and not realize that some of the things that God gives us to do are means of being faithful back to God. And in verse 22 of chapter 6, it says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Imagine that being said of you and I when our time on this earth comes to an end. Imagine it being said of this church when Christ comes back to this earth. Imagine it being said of us as a people group that we did all that God commanded us. You know, sometimes we start to compare ourselves to those around us. Or sometimes we start to compare ourselves to churches around us and sometimes we start to say, well as long as I'm better than them or as long as I'm doing this better than they are doing this, then that must mean that I'm doing alright. And we do not judge ourselves based upon the eyes of other people or the work of other people. We base ourselves based upon the direction that God has given us. And so here in this narrative God comes in, He sees Noah, He takes favor and shines blessings down upon Noah, calls Noah to do something. It says there in verse 22 Noah did it. But sometimes we just stop there and think, well, so Noah built the ark. But that wasn't the end of it. If you look down there to verse uh, chapter 6 and verse 19 notice what God says. And of every living thing of all the flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. And then you skip down to verse 21, and it says, Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten, and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. And so not only was he telling Noah, I want you to build this ark, this ark that you've never seen before, this ark that you have never built before, an ark like we talked about last Sunday, you're not going to have heavy equipment, you're not going to have hydraulics, you're not going to have a set of blueprints, you're not going to have an army of people to help you, you're not going to be able to subcontract this thing out, you're going to have to sit there with the jeers of the people with the questions of the people in addition to providing your food and in addition to providing for your family and in addition to providing for your means you're going to also build this on the side and you're going to build this in the timeline that God has given you but then in addition to that Noah, you're also responsible for making sure that all the animals get into the ark and you're responsible for making sure that all the food gets in the ark and it's not just whatever food you like you're just not going to load it down with Croutons and, and, and Frito Lay potato chips, you're going to bring that says every, every sort of food. So, can you imagine Noah looking to God and saying, God, you know what? That's enough. <laughs> Maybe some days I'll leave in the mornings and we got this little doodle board, this little electronic doodle board that you can write on, then you push the button and it clears it. So, it's sitting on the refrigerator, and I'll get up and I'm up before the rest of the family gets up and I'll have a whole list. And then boys will come in and they'll go, uh, and you know how, you probably still do it, Jared. He, he comes in, and, uh, 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 and I've done these items before. I know how long they should take and how long they can make them take. I, I'm aware. I'm aware of how this situation goes. And I look at that like, uh, uh, you gave us a whole list. And I'm, and I'm looking at it going, you can be done with this list in two hours. Pretty easy. I'll trade you. You can go do my shift and I'll come do your shift. I mean, we're, we're fine with that, but they look at that list and they're like, oh, and I can just imagine, can you just imagine Shem, Him, and Jephthah looking at their dad and saying, Dad, are you sure, Dad? Are you sure you hurt him correctly? Because God is speaking to Noah. He didn't come and talk to Noah's wife. He didn't send a video. He didn't come and have a conference with the three boys and the three daughter-in-laws. He came and told Noah. Noah is looking at his family and saying, Okay, not only are we going to build this giant boat, but then we've got to stock this thing with every kind of animal. And how exhaustive did that be? Trying to figure out where you're going to put everything. Trying to figure out if you've got everything. Trying to figure out how everything comes together. And then every sort of food. But then he gets down there to chapter 7 and verse 5. And it reiterates what it said back in chapter 6 and verse 22. And it said, And Noah did all the Lord God had commanded him. Sometimes we fall short in our obedience. And we think obedience is partial obedience. And partial obedience is not obedience. And sometimes we try to redefine what is obedience. That precious two-year-old sitting right there, you will tell him, go pick up your toys. And he looks at you like, I ain't picking up my toys. And then you say, go pick up your toys. And he starts to the gag around. I get up, I grab the paddle, and all of a sudden, he thinks he's going to start picking up his toys. (laughs) You're too late the first time, I gave you the second time for the benefit of the doubt, but now it doesn't matter if you pick up your toys or not you are not being obedient by doing it the fifth or the sixth time your obedience was the first time the same thing comes with our lives we start to think that partial obedience is obedience, partial obedience is nothing but disobedience So when it comes in here in this text, and it says in verse 22, and it says in verse 5 that Noah did all. You can even circle, underline, highlight that word all. He did all that the Lord God had commanded him. We are living in a day and age church that God has given us commands. God has given us His words. And we start to think that we get to choose which portions we're going to follow and which portions we're not which portions we're going to keep and which portions we're not. We start to decide, well, this applies to me, but this does not apply to me. And we start to do surgical procedures to the Word of God to dissect and to cut up and to take and and, and do these things with God's Word to make it fit what we want. Marcion was a... a uh, historical figure in the life of the church back in the early ages and one of his heresies was that he came into the Bible and he thought that certain parts of the Bible weren't supposed to be in the Bible so what he did he came in and quite literally just ripped out those sections of the Bible, recompiled the Bible and he had his own version of the Bible that he had went in and handpicked what was what was good took out what was bad and he had his own version of the Bible. He had come in and he had developed his own theology based upon what verses he kept and what verses he got rid of. And it was known as a heresy, the Marcion heresy, if you will, and it was thrown out because they said, no, it's not up for us to choose what we're going to believe and what we're not going to believe. It's not up for us to choose what we're going to obey and what we're not going to obey. God's Word says it, then we it. So you have this picture, this stage, if you will, that is set up for faithfulness. God tells Noah, I want you to be faithful. I want you to do that. And then you see the response of Noah. Then you get down in uh, seven, in, uh, chapter 7 and verse 17, and you see this faithfulness of God. Now you may look at this and say, well, this really doesn't demonstrate the faithfulness of God, because it tells us in verse 17 that the flood continued for 40 days on the earth. It's giving us this picture, and I'm, I'm just going to assume that you all have been in this Sunday school class before, but you know, they get in the ark, the flood waters come, the, the, the water just comes apart, breaks, the deluge comes, and the earth is flooded. Some people may look at that and say, well, how is that the faithfulness of God? Well, if you remember from even last week, the individuals that perished in the flood perished because they rejected God. They chose to reject God. They had opportunities to repent. They had opportunities to confess. They had opportunities to put God in His proper place in their life. And even when you get back to chapter, chapter 6, and it talks about the corruption of the people, it wasn't that God said, you know what, they blew their nose wrong, and so bam, they're dead. They had an opportunity while they're watching Noah build the ark, while they're watching him gather the animals, while they're watching him gather the food, they have an opportunity to turn back to God, and yet they chose not to. And the very fact that God is just, Demands that God is also a just judge. So you see the faithfulness of God because God had told Noah this is what I'm going to do and this is why I'm going to do it. So when the flood comes what we see is God not just be faith, being faithful to His justice but we also see God being faithful to His word. And God saying this is what I'm going to do and this is what I'm going to do. We talked about it last week about the judgment of God. The judgment of God that is still yet to come. And if God has said He's going to do it then God is going to do it. And when he's doing it, he is demonstrating his faithfulness to us because what he says he's going to do, he's going to do. I I sometimes run into these struggles with these young boys in the house that they'll say, Daddy, can we do that? And I'll say, sure. And it's always a soft sure in my mind because there's always things that come up, circumstances that arise. Well, then the time comes, well, Daddy, you said. You don't want to be the kind of dad that just says we're going to do all these things and you never do anything you say you're going to do. But then when they ask you prior to that and you tell them no, well then you're the mean daddy that never does anything. So there's that balance there that you have in adulthood. God never has that problem. God says it, God's going to do it. If God said it's true, it's true. If God said this is what's going to happen, that's what's going to happen. So can you imagine... Noah, his family, all of these animals, all of this food on this boat, they, they had the windows there at the top, but it wasn't like they had portholes they were looking out of to be able to see this whole event transpire. And so they're in the boat, and you can just imagine that they are sitting in there, and it was a number of days, we're going to look at that in a few moments, but there's a number of days they're on the boat, and it can be easy in the midst of the storm to think that God has forgotten you. And sometimes in the trials of sicknesses, sometimes in the trials of opposition, sometimes in the trials of work, Sometimes in the throes of life, the busyness, the season of life, sometimes it can be easy to think that God has forgotten you. But you get there in chapter 8 and verse 1, and it starts the chapter by this. But God remembered Noah. I want to encourage you this evening by reminding you that faith is never forgotten. Faith is never forgotten. You go back to Hebrews chapter 11 and you have the Hall of Faith and the writer of Hebrews goes back and recounts all of those Old Testament pictures of how their faith pointed us to God and how God blessed their obedience and how God proved faithful through their faithfulness to Him. So God has not forgotten Noah and God has not forgotten us even today. If you go back to chapter 12 or chapter 7 and verse 12, you'll notice the original flood event happened for 40 days. And then you go down to chapter 7 and verse 24. It talks about how the floodwaters prevailed across upon the earth for 150 days. And then you get down in chapter 8 and verse 3. And it says at the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. Most of the scholars would see that as 250 day segments. And then you go down there in verses 8 and verse 13, and it says that in the 600th and the first year of the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried off the earth, and Noah removed the door from the covering of the ark. But... If you were to read, he doesn't leave. He doesn't open the door and say, yeah, I see dry ground. Ha <laughs> ha! We are freed and they go running out. What does it say in verse 14? It says, in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Now, you just think about a simple calendar like we go off today. January 1... Noah undid the covering of the door and saw that the ground was dry, but he didn't step outside of the ark. February twenty seventh, God said, "Go." Now you can try to find some type of what they call it, numerology and try to find some significance in that. I'm just wondering if you and I are on the boat. How long are we going to wait before God, Before we, how long are we going to wait for God to say "Go" before we go? My study Bible that I use, it had a chart and it said that the time from Noah and his family getting on the ark to the time that they got off was 370 days. 370 days together (laughs) with all the animals and all this food. The floodwaters had started to recede and after the main of the floodwaters recede and it talks about the ark resting there on Mount Arafat and then it took another 150 days for all the the rest of the waters to abate and to go away. Noah takes the covering and and you can easily say it was as many as 57 days that he sat out there every morning drinking his coffee, looking out through that opening in the ark going, I'm not going out there until God tells me to go out there. (laughs) I'm not stepping a foot beyond where God tells me to go. But the problem that I have is I don't open the door and say, oh, yeah, we're good. Let's go. And you get in front of God. You get in front of God's timing because you get impatient. You get in front of God's provisions. You get in front of God's providence. You get in front of God because you start to think, you know what, God has done this and we start to assume and we forget that obedience is being directed by God. And the faithfulness comes when you and I follow what God tells us to do. And yet, we spend more time deciding what we want to do than searching out what God wants us to do. And so, and I'm quickly running out of time, but then you get down to chapter 8 and verse 20 and then you see the faithfulness to Noah again. So you see the faithfulness of God coming in. You see the activity of Noah as he responds. He does all that God acted. God was faithful to Noah in the fact that he saved him and his family and all those animals there when the flood came upon the earth. God remembered Noah, didn't leave him out there, didn't, didn't forget him or abandon him, and so the one happens when he gets off the boat. You can just imagine what you and I would do. You spent 370 days on this boat. I think I want to get out and stretch my legs. <laughs> I think I want to get out and what I'm thinking in my head is i got to build a house. i, I got to have some place for us to stay. i got to start doing something to provide food for my family. i got to have something to provide sustenance and provision for those people around me. You start to think about all these things that Noah most likely had in his head for the last 57 days. He's been sitting there looking outside there, having all these plans, thinking about all these things that he was going to do. But it says there in chapter 8 and verse 20, what was the first thing that Noah did when he got out of the ark? It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal on some of every clean bird and offer burnt offerings on the altar. Noah did not get lost in establishing a new life. The first thing he did was stop and show gratitude and thanksgiving to God. We have lost some of that in our lives today. We may sit down and we may say grace before a meal, but we've lost that to some degree in our lives today where we are not being grateful to God like we should some of it, I think, is because we start to take credit for what we have. We start to look around and go, well, I earned this. I bought this. I've sacrificed for this. I've gotten this. I've built this. I've done this. And we start to take credit for what God has done in our lives. Noah, he gets off the boat and you see the faithful to Noah. So you see this cycle back and forth. God is faithful to Noah. Noah is faithful to God. God is faithful to Noah. Noah is faithful to God. And when Noah put this altar together, offered these sacrifices on the altar, notice it says in verse 21, and when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. So God says, even though man is corrupted by the fall, even though the effect of sin has taken place on the heart of man because of the faithfulness of Noah, I will never bring a catastrophic or a flood-like event ever again on the earth. He says there in verse 22, while the earth remains seed, time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Because of the faithfulness of one man, you and I, aren't looking over our shoulders every single day wondering if there's another flood coming. Wondering if something else is going to happen. Was it 2015 when we had all of the heavy... Well, maybe not down here, but maybe not up here, but takes home went over the, the spillway for a uh, catastrophic thing. There, there was a Wednesday night that I was driving the church van. We had a church bus ministry at that time, and, and the, the, the water was coming in so hard that it was coming through the seals and the windows of the church van, and it was almost like waves of water were coming down inside of the church van, and these kids were going, what are we going to do? I said, well, I'm not getting out of the van. I'm going to tell you that. It's raining too hard, and some of these places where we were taking these kids to, the floodwaters had gotten up over the roads and we got out of church that Sunday or that Wednesday night and I couldn't get the kids home because I couldn't afford the Creeks to get them home and so I show back up at our house with a van full of kids looking at her going Surprise! <laughs> because I didn't really know. I mean, there were there were days where it was raining two or three inches in a, a six-hour period during the day. We had floods like we hadn't had in, in years and years and years and years. And so there was all of these things that were taking place. And, and yet, that's not even a comparison to what we're dealing with in this story. Because of the faithfulness of Noah, we have the assurances of God. And notice what God then goes on and does. And in chapter 9, he begins to talk about his promises. He begins to talk about the things that he is now going to do for Noah and his family. And even those, all of those descendants of Noah. Which you and I are descendants of Noah and his children. We are in that lineage there because that were the only people left on the earth. And so he says, this is what I'm going to do. It says in chapter 9 and verse 1, That God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth and then he goes on and he goes to talk about what he's going to give them and how he is going to bless them in chapter 9 and verse 3 he says every moving thing that lives shall be food for you and as I gave you the green plants I give you everything up until that point they had been given the opportunity to eat plants they were all vegetarians in that sense but right here in this chapter he reminds us of this verse he says okay I've given everything not just the plants, but I've given you the animals, everything for food. Puts a couple of prohibitions on there. And then you get down to chapter uh, 9 and verse 8, and you see God giving this covenant. Now I'm going to read it, and I know I'm short on time, but I'm going to read verse 8 down through verse 17 in its entirety. And I just want you to notice with me as you follow along, all of these references die. You may underline it, under, uh, circle it, you may highlight it. But all these times that God refers to Himself in the first All flesh and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, "This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth." Now, the bow in the clouds he's referring to has to do with the rainbow. So, when you and I are looking up in the clouds during a storm event and we see a rainbow. Who else is seeing that rainbow? God. And God says that every time He sees a rainbow, He will be reminded of His covenant. What do we think of when we see a rainbow? pot of gold where is the lucky little leprechaun i want to find my lucky charms and we start to think about these things or you'll point it out to children and the children are just fascinated with this rainbow and of course scientists have come in now and they've explained why the rainbow comes and the prism and the light going through the refraction of the water and they have a scientific explanation but i'm going to tell you there's also a spiritual connection Because when you see that rainbow, you can know in your heart that God sees that rainbow and it reminds God of the covenant that He has made with all of mankind for as long as this earth continues. And I wonder, do we think about, thank you God, that we don't have to worry about another flood. Because of the faithfulness and the obedience of one man. God makes a covenant with man. He promises blessings to man. He establishes this sign. And all of it ultimately was due to the blessings and the obedience of Noah and his family. Now I'm not going to promise you and I'm not trying to tell you that if you are obedient to God, then you will have the blessings that God gave to Noah. But we do know that when God calls us to live and to serve and to follow, That God blesses our obedience and our faithfulness to Him. Now why why do I think this matters? Well, too often we set a timeline for God's faithfulness. God, I'm going to trust in You, but You've got a week. God, I'm going to pray about this, but You've got a short amount of time. I've listened to men and they would talk about going on an extended fast trying to come up with a decision. Ministry leaders trying to talk about, well, I was going to seek the face of the Lord. And so I went on an extended fast. And some of these guys would go on fast for 20 or 40 days and they're waiting for God to answer. And they would say that we fasted and we fasted. And some of them would go and it was on day 37, 38, or 39 before God would ever give them an answer. And you kind of think, well, I'm glad God finally gave you an answer so you could break your fast. But the question is, how long would you have fasted waiting on God to answer? You know, sometimes you and I put these timetables there that says, God, you know, you've got a week. You've got an hour. You've got until a phone call comes in. You've got until an email comes in. You've got until I've gotten tired of waiting on you. And yet the timeline of God is not on our timetable. It's on God's. God gives us direction. God gives us commands. God tells us what He wants us to do. The question is, will we be faithful to God? Will we be obedient to what God wants us to do? Not only do we often set the timeline for God, but we often obey up to the point that we become impatient. And then we get impatient and we stop. One of my projects in 4-H was dog training. So I had this blue healer dog and we were going to take this through this dog training and part of it. You know, you got to heal where that dog has to learn that it has to sit right here on your left leg. And then you would sit and then you would stay. And then sometimes you would do the, 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 the uh, lay down trick. But you would tell them to stay and that dog would sit there and you would say stay. And then you would walk oh, from me to Mark and you would sit there and look at that dog and say stay. And you know, it's, it's amazing to me when you can take a dog and you can say stay and then you can even go to Bev's. <laughs> and then you can come back and you know that dog hasn't moved. You know, too often in my life, I, as soon as I'm out of the room, I'm going to do what I want to do. <laughs> you know, and we don't have that patience to just wait on God. And so we're willing to be obedient until we get to be impatient. In, in, in and then we miss out on those blessings that come by that completion of our faithfulness to God. Now I'm not trying to imply that we obey God so that we can get God's blessing. What I do want to imply is that we know that when we obey God, God will bless our obedience. So it's not a name and claim a thing saying I'm going to obey God so that He gives me this but we realize that when we're faithful to God God is faithful to us. And one of these foundational truths that I want us to remember because it carries all the way throughout Scripture is the faithfulness Of God. And it doesn't mean that God is just faithful to Noah. God is still faithful to His people today. And God is still faithful to you. God is still faithful to this church. God is still faithful to your walk before Him. And sometimes we need to be reminded that God blesses obedience. So we need to ask ourselves, how is my faithfulness to God?